0: awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive, and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: Welcome to episode 179 with my guest, Tyler W. This episode is sponsored by PillPack, the online pharmacy that delivers convenient, pre-sorted meds, Right to your front door. No more waiting in line at retail pharmacies. Doesn't cost you a penny more. And you can support the show by just checking out the website. PillPack.com Slash happy hour. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Uh, two hours. I think we're going to be around two hours today. Maybe a little less. Hour. Two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads. For medically diagnosed conditions. Past traumas. Sexual dysfunction. To everyday compulsive negative thinking your garden variety negative thoughts this show ain't meant to be no substitute i already hate this character i'm doing this show ain't meant to be no substitute for no uh no fancy doctor office my dogs are opposed to this character that i'm doing ivy haven't heard much from her she's normally she- oh somebody there's helicopters and dogs barking outside the house right now if i haven't mentioned i'm in the- i'm in a standoff I've got a hostage with me. Um, I just wanted to bump up the show a little bit. Raise the stakes, as they say in Hollywood. Anyway, this show is not meant to be a substitute for uh, uh, professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck and is filled with untrained dogs. Uh, The website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And uh, go check out the website. You can join the forum. A lot of people find comfort uh, posting in the forum. We have a, a gazillion different uh, threads on a, pretty much every topic that you can imagine. And God bless the people in the forum when there's a uh, a thread that hasn't been created yet that they think there should be one for. They, they let me know, and I do my best to create it. And um, it's a beautiful thing. So go check that out. Go to the website, take a survey, see how other people have uh, filled out surveys. Or maybe you go and you support the show. Maybe you throw us a couple of dollars through PayPal. Huh? Maybe you do that. I um, want to read some struggle in a sentence surveys before we get to the interview with uh, with Tyler. This is filled out by Moose, and uh, she writes about her bulimia. It's, uh, as I said, this is the struggle in a sentence survey. Um About her bulimia, it's like I have a time machine and I can take back the control I lost. About her anorexia, uh, me being able to deny my body one of its basic needs makes me feel like I have superpowers. Uh, Snapshot from her life, I look at myself in the mirror and I want to cry. I dig my claws into the fat on my stomach. I want to punish myself for being so disgusting. There are two options now. Either I starve myself and desperately hope that the numbers will go down quickly enough, or I give up and lose all control, stuffing my gross face with everything I can find, regretting it even before I've started. If only I was thinner, then I would finally be worth something. Oh, that breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Um, this was filled out by uh, Kristen. Kristen who's a teenager, and she writes about her depression being stuck outside in a blizzard while my friends and family enjoy a warm meal together. About her OCD, the need to control something, even if it's just how the remote sits on the coffee table. About her codependency, I know you're going to hurt me, and I know I'm going to let you. Again, the uh, the teenage females... So good at this at this sur- survey. Uh, snapshot from her life. Sobbing in bed, staring at my phone as it buzzes with messages from concerned friends. It takes me an hour to roll over in bed and type, I'm fine. I still feel alone. Sending you a hug. Um, this is filled out by Anon. Uh, also, a uh, uh, she's a teenager. About her chronic illness. Um, where she writes, I'm a high school student who has been out of school due to chronic pain and anxiety and about her chronic illness, I won't die from this, but if I did, people would believe I had actually suffered. Boy, she was able to pinpoint that feeling that so many of us have when we share that we just want to go into the hospital, you know, that we just want, I think it's, you know, we want, we want people to see our pain, but more than anything, we want to feel felt. We want empathy. I think empathy for us is every bit as important as food and water. Um, at least to, to, to thrive, I think I think we need it. Um, this is filled out by Casey. She's in her 20s about her anxiety. It feels like a giant scoreboard follows me around announcing my mistakes as I make them to everyone I pass by. Uh, about her sex addiction. It feels like the next touch is the only thing keeping me alive. Snapshot from her life. My anxiety is my biggest battle. And before I found any way to manage it, just being around people I didn't know would send me into a panic attack. I went with a boyfriend at the time to do flood cleanup. And he was going to leave me with a group of strangers to find something to do. And I broke down and cried hysterically and started hyperventilating. And he told me I was embarrassing and took me to wait in the car. Um, This is from Abby. Um... And if I don't thank you know each and every one of you I, I clearly I wouldn't be reading these surveys sometimes I worry that if I don't comment on somebody's and send them a hug or say how great it is that you're gonna feel left out oh God I need to go to a codependency meeting um, but clearly I wouldn't be reading I don't read surveys if they if they don't move me in some way so just know that if I don't comment on yours and go fuck yourself uh, this is uh, this one was filled out by Abby. She's in her 20s about her bipolar 2 disorder. feels like always fearing that you'll pay for being super happy this month by being depressed next month. Uh, about her ADHD. It feels like struggling to read or follow conversations and fearing that other people think you're lazy, disinterested, or stupid. Uh, snapshot from her life. Being in English class and realizing that everyone else could read and understand the book. Being in the office and realizing everyone else finished their work hours ago. And being afraid to talk about the medication that finally worked for me because there is such a stigma attached to ADHD drugs. Moonlight uh, is a genderqueer female and about her um, cutting. Trying not to cut is like ignoring a baby crying for attention. Um, She also struggles with anorexia, a voice that keeps telling me not to eat even when I'm hungry. Snapshot from her life. I once broke down sobbing while trying to eat a chili cheese hot dog. The voice in my head told me that I was weak to want to eat something I enjoy. It took me a while, but I did eat it. That breaks me, breaks my heart that somebody would consider not eating a chili cheese dog. It was actually my thought when I when I first read that. I was like, how could somebody not eat a chili cheese dog that is in front of them? Um, this was filled out by Kenzie. Uh, about her anxiety, someone standing behind you all day with a balloon and a pen, never indicating why, they'll inevitably pop it. I think somebody has submitted that one before, but that one I feel in my in my skin when I when I read that. I was like, oh my god. Uh, about alcoholism and drug addiction, I deserve this fourth glass because he abused me. Um, OCD. I checked the flat iron three times, but maybe the last time I checked. I accidentally switched it on instead of off. Oh, my God, my house is burnt down. Um, I like this one. Uh, Other compulsive behaviors, makeup. Every day, even home alone, as long as that soft beige number eight is on, I can feel a little pretty. Um, I wonder how many other um, people struggle with that, too. Um, About codependency. I am worthless without validation, even if the validation is that I am worthless. Wow. That is, uh, that is profound. Uh, and finally, this is from RC, uh, about his depression, a chronic, uh, his chronic depression, a fight to even feel sad. Boy, that one went through me when I read that one. I was like, yes, sometimes I, to just feel something would be, uh, a relief, um, And about his OCD, religion without the holidays. Oh, God, I wish I didn't need to take meds.
0: cried like an animal it makes me so mad at myself that i do that
1: the burden of perfectionism
0: and that's when i got to therapy
1: let's talk about that because so i was like fuck it
2: i'm alive i don't give
1: a shit about anything you are a shining example of what is best about human beings i'm worried that the uh, russian militia is coming over the hill
0: i know that uh but uh alice how you feeling i'm pretty good pretty good <laughs>
1: I'm here with uh, Tyler. We're gonna withhold his last name so he can uh, share more freely, and uh, his friend Kira, who we also recorded, is uh, sitting here with us. We're at Podfest, and um, where would be a good place to start, uh, Tyler? We, when I was interviewing Kira, uh, Tyler was just here as a, as a friend supporting her, and uh, he. He let loose a couple of pieces of information. I was like, "I think you might be an interesting guest too," and so uh, so here we are. Where would be a good place to, to start with uh, your story? How old are you? Uh, I'm 26.
2: Um, I'm not sure if I've, I've ever had a, a, a heard on the program like a male with an eating disorder, or um, that might be a good place. And it kind of let's do it. Goes into everything else. I think um, I'm bulimic. So for me, that means I, I would eat a lot of food and then uh, make myself throw up. Um, when did this start? Are you, do you still engage in it? No, I do not. Um, it's it's really connected to I've 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 always had a uh, addictive personality. Um, I guess I think it's kind of to back up beginning. Both my parents were alcoholics um, and just grew up in chaos. Uh, my father was a musician. Um, my mom was in commercial production. We lived out in uh, Encino, California. Um, and my sister did commercials. And uh, my sister was like six years older than me. Um, I, I, I don't remember a whole lot because, you know, you're like young but I do know that it was always, there was no structure. Nothing was solid. Everything was crazy. And um, money was always, um, like, I, I, I never felt like there was ever an emergency or anything. But I knew that was an issue because my father was in a, you know, it just depended on what shows he was playing or if he, he tried to do a solo career and how that was going. And then they both drank and used all the time what instrument did your dad play um mostly bass uh he did he uh he was a country western musician um he had been a musician for a long time um and i was actually he uh he was playing some some bar and i think oklahoma and that's my mom was a cocktail server there and that's how they met um And then uh, they stayed together. And then a couple accidents later, you have my sister and myself.
1: Neither of you were planned? No. And how did you find that out? And how old were you? It must have been
2: really early, because I've always known I wasn't planned. Um, It was never, you ruined our lives or anything like that. But um, uh, it's difficult talking about my parents, because there's a part where... You know they were alcoholic and it was chaos, but they loved me immensely, and um, they loved you what? immensely. Uh-huh. And um, they they got sober when I was about eight or nine.
1: Are they still sober?
2: Um, yes, um, yes. Um, but my sister who's six years older, she basically had two different parents than I did um how so because she was around for the drunken nights and you know saying inappropriate things to her and either they didn't say them to me or I was just too young to remember any of that kind of stuff um my mom has an insane story but um they they had thought she was just crazy when she was growing up and they actually well um when she was eighteen, she had a baby that she had to give up, and they uh, treated her with shock therapy because um, she had lost her mind. Um, which I, I don't really know the how well that would actually work, and I don't. I really hope they don't do stuff like that today.
1: Uh, they do sometimes um, for people that ha- have depression. Uh, from from what I understand, people that have. Uh, Depression, and I think even other issues that can't be resolved any other way. And uh, for some people, it can work. And from mm. what I understand, it's something. Uh, maybe it's not as intense as it as it used to be. But from from what I understand, it's also something that um, can be done more than more than one time. Maybe I should just shut my mouth since I don't really <laughs> know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Remember the disclaimer at the beginning of the show. It's not a doctor's office. It's a jackass that tells dick jokes. Um, So she had shock therapy. And
2: I guess it was going a little bit further, but, you know, in a drunken night, she would tell my sister about it. Like, you know, you have a sister out there, speaking of the daughter that she'd given up. And, you know, my sister would have been seven or eight years old. And my mom telling her stuff like that, um, walking in on them, doing cocaine with our, like, family friends and um having people over the they shouldn't be my sister she had done a lot of commercials as a child um like she was basically a child actress and she had made pretty good money doing that and my parents blew all of that that's
1: so hard to believe that cocaine addicts would go through their child's money
2: right i know but um but I, I do notice like some things from that chaos, like, uh, apparently when I was like two or three years old, I had gotten really drunk cause they, they would just leave like alcohol out and, um, they couldn't figure out what was going on cause you know, their child would walk like three steps and fall over and, um, like kind of like Maggie Simpson, you know, walk, yeah. walk, walk, fall. And luckily, um, my uncle, he was a doctor, and he's like, You're talk- he's drunk. And because that could have been, had they like found emergency services, and that would have been a CPS thing right there.
1: I love that your drinking was unmanageable at two. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. It, Tyler is sober, by the way. So I, I would not be making that same joke if, uh, if he weren't sober. Maybe I would. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so go ahead.
2: Um, And then, I I guess I'd like to talk about this. Um, Because it was chaos, like, no one watched us all the time. And um, I remember a time when I would have been under six years old when um, I was alone in my house with... I'll just tell what the memory is, and then I can kind of piece together what... I've found out more about it, but the memory is I was alone in my house with um, like a 12-year-old girl who was blonde. Um, and, I, th- you know, I kind of feel like maybe she might have been my babysitter or just like watching over me or something. And um, she asked me or it got around to uh, asking me to put my penis in her mouth or she put my penis in her mouth. And... I kind of remember something in me that knew that it was wrong um and that's something I always remember, but just didn't tell anyone ever um until I was listening to uh this podcast and heard about the surveys you we were doing online about kind of situations like that. And it made me reexamine it. And I talked to a therapist about it. And then I I went to uh, my mother and told her what had happened. And um, there had been a time where I thought it might have been my sister. And that was, I think that was another part of, like, I didn't want to bring that up to anyone. Um, but it was po- – and, and I talked to my sister. Like, uh, she said, no, it wasn't her. And kind of piecing together, like, you know, if it was her, why would it have stopped at that one time? Right. And, um, there was a neighbor who, um, she had been, she had had a really troubled life. And, um, it, it's, it's, it was probably that person. Um,
1: and, and by the way, there, and I'm not seeing your, are sister did this but um there i have read uh surveys and gotten emails from women who when they were around that age and were babysitting um they had just wondered what it was like and put sometimes an infant's uh penis in their mouth and that you know, were horrified that they did it, but there was some compulsion in there, in them to do that, and they never, um, did it again. Uh, so, uh, just, just throwing that out there and not to be, uh, trying to problem solve or crack your, your. Well, in well, case, no, and, um,
2: it, there was, there's no, there, I felt no animosity towards this person or like felt, um, like, that it was predatory, or, I, you know, I, I wish, if that's something that hurts that person, that they know that, you know, I don't want to say, like, forgive, but it's, it's you know, I hope that they can be comfortable with who they are and get help if they need help, and... um yeah, like, I, 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 anyone who would have that kind of issue, I
1: think, needs love more than anything. That's so profound that you say that, and I agree wholeheartedly. The surveys that I've read and the emails that I've gotten, almost no person has forgiven themselves for things that they did as children. Yeah. And I just want to give them a big hug and say, you're a kid, almost I would say probably all of them were not having their basic emotional needs met as a kid or were being abused themselves and forgive yourself. Do you feel like you've processed how you feel about it? And you had said before to me that you would just, you don't really feel anything about it. Do you sometimes wonder whether or not that's numb, you're numbing yourself to protect yourself or if that's genuinely, you've gotten to the root of it and that's kind of how you feel.
2: Um, I think it might've started just, mm, I'm not ready to deal with that, but, um, yeah, I, I think I've, I've processed it. Um, I think it was like an easy excuse for, to justify behavior sometimes, um, to be like, mm, I had a hard childhood or something, you know, and it was something I'd fall back on. But once, Something I I take to heart is I'm only as sick as my secrets, and you know when I express those things and talk about them with other people, um, they become a lot more manageable. And Mm -hmm. just something like this, once I started talking about it, it it wasn't my dirty little secret anymore, and it wasn't something I had to fit in a box somewhere in my head. It just was.
1: And that makes total sense to me because I've experienced that personally as well. But uh, I also um, read surveys where people in the middle of taking one of the surveys on the website will have a cathartic moment filling a survey out and say, I've never shared that with anybody. I'm crying right now but I feel lighter. Um, So I encourage anybody uh, out there, if not on on the survey, find somebody safe and uh, and talk about that stuff that you want to you want to take to your grave, because um, I I don't think there's any way of really burying it. It's going to it's going to come out in in one way or another. You may think that you're you're burying it. But um, yeah, so let, let's get I'm, I'm kind of interested to talk about the um, the bulimia, how how old were you when it started and was there kind of an arc or progression to it? So, um, the
2: first, I'd say that's like the first substance that I learned to abuse was food like that. Um, that worked, you know, um, it, it filled me emotionally and physically, and it was something I can control. Um, like just growing up in chaos and um, we had moved from California to Little Rock Arkansas and um, it's beautiful but the people there are awful (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I'm I'm white and uh, people use like the n-word down there and they think you're in on the club because you're white and and even a child, like uh, you know, like seven or eight, you would hear adults, you know, just open bigotry and prejudice. and
1: um, please tell me everybody wasn't like that there.
2: um no, hopefully not. okay, I guess, but um and that's it's and that's kind of where things started to fall apart because uh, my sister uh, my sister and I kind of went different ways. She went. Act out and I went be perfect. And, um, you know, me trying to be perfect meant, you know, I had to control everything in the house and, and do everything. And, and sister, um, got into drugs and alcohol and, and tried to kill herself. And, um, my, my mom used to call me her little old man because I was just deathly serious about everything. And thinking about it now, I feel like, I made myself responsible for everything so that way I would, like, if I was responsible for everything, then that meant I could try to fix it and I could stop people from getting hurt.
1: Um, And, And also, I think the other reason the kids tell themselves is they need somebody to blame. They need somebody to make sense for it. And it's much less scary to say, I'm the reason for this than to say, I'm being raised by People that have no clue.
2: Yeah. And um so it's when in Arkansas, uh I got huge. Um just eat I just ate a lot um and just got like really, really big. And like I wouldn't eat like I wouldn't eat like food, I would just eat like ragu pasta sauce, just drink it. And um
1: one of my favorites was You gotta drink a lot of pasta sauce.
2: Well that's that was just weight. when I would come home. Like well, it's full of sugar too. Oh, okay. But um another good one is uh fruity pebbles with sugar added. There you go. That's a good one. Add uh, boy. Cans of Pringles. Um I was really into adding more condiments to food. Like most food was just a, a condiment enabler. If I could
1: get more mayonnaise and ketchup and um I gotta say you have terrible taste in food as a child. <laughs> You would not make a good child chef on the Food Network. No, no, absolutely. You not. You would be the first person to be cut. And
2: uh, in the South, they uh, when it, we had a bunch of family from the South, like Oklahoma, California, Oklahoma, Florida, Texas, and like deep fried food, and it's all and you know, just big family meals. And um, if if I'm feeding you, that means I love you. Was kind of the vibe I got. Um, like so a huge and like constantly picked on at school but it was like the only thing I knew that I and mean, like numbed me made it not hurt you know
1: it was just to eat and you know just it... describe for me from the thought of I want to eat something the feeling in your body what you're thinking through the throwing up of it would you get excited when you would think about I've got that food in the fridge. Well, so I I have to tie it with this to,
2: in my, because I started actually, so I I would always eat like way too much. And of course I'd get so excited, like knowing I'm going to get a whole pizza to myself, you know, and you know, it's just, I'm going to be in that moment completely. Um, I won't have to worry about anything else other than what I'm going to eat. Or um, there were times where I'd feel like, Oh, I'm hungry. I need to use this to my advantage because if there's I'm hu- an excuse, there's an excuse to eat. Okay, I'm hungry. I'm gonna get as much food as I can and eat as fast as I can before I feel full. Because um, it's for me when I would feel full, that's when I knew I'd gone too far. And then that eventually became like,
1: all right, well then I need to purge. Were was the goal to get the feeling of being so stuffed, or was it? the tasting of the food or both the tasting of the food because yeah, it it
2: really is like like a really fast acting drug like if you eat sweets it's just you get this very brief high and then it's gone and so you just keep trying to chase that you know just shovel more cake in your mouth
1: and um which usually needs to be done standing at the sink right if you're really if you want to go pro yeah you gotta, you gotta do that. And by the way, I get excited about the thought of eating a whole pizza to myself. And if I do it after I've come home from playing hockey, I'm like, well, I played hockey, exactly. So I uh, deserve it. Yeah, and and I get that that feeling of, um, yeah. So, um, but I'm better than you because I never threw it up.
2: Right, exactly, and so I hadn't—I had always kind of eaten bad and had like issues with food. But then, in my early twenties, I was diagnosed with diabetes, and that was really fun because um, I just—I knew something was wrong for a few months. Like I had to go pee all the time, and um, I was always thirsty, which is basically your body's telling you your body's full of sugar and just trying to get it out. And then. Um, I had a yeast infection, which isn't common for guys. And, uh, like, went to a, like, quick carry kind of place. And they checked my blood sugar, and it was six times what you should be normally. Wow. And they had to send me to an emergency room and put me on, like, an insulin drip. And uh, that's when my relationship with food became obsessive and scary and
1: and how old were you when that happened
2: like 22 I think okay um, 21 22 I would have still been in college um, and so like for the first six months it, it, well, so that's when it started where I would obsess about food plans and what I have to do and Like for the first six months, I was like really healthy. And then there's just a part of me that just wants to like fuck it all. Um, and that, that feeling of being able to break away from the disease and the plan of eating that I have to live on now, like that little rebellion was the biggest high, like to, to really binge. Um,
1: because it had become forbidden,
2: correct? Yeah, it had become forbidden, and um, I hated, I hated having diabetes. Like it wasn't fair, and um, it it's like this this really sick thinking of I'm going to kill the disease by hurting myself. Like I'm going to eat all the things I'm not supposed to eat to hurt the disease.
1: Sure, like the, like the disease is out to get me, well, I'll fucking show you. Right, exactly. And then I feel miserable. We are going to uh, pause here for a second and uh, give some love to our sponsors. Um, love Me Some Pill Pack. They've been a great sponsor. And uh, they're an online pharmacy that uh, they deliver your meds or your vitamins um, right to your door. Uh, they deliver prescriptions to 33 states and non-prescriptions to uh, all 50 states. And uh, it doesn't cost you a penny more than it would to uh, get your your stuff in a uh, retail pharmacy. And, of course, the beauty is is you don't have to go wait in line. You don't have to get a prescription that's half-filled that you have to come back for later. Um, they have great customer service. Um, they, they care about your meds as much as you do. They know um, that it's... That we fret over a gap in our service, and so they make sure that there isn't a gap in your service, that you always have the meds that you need, so you don't have to go a day without them. Um, and I love how they're all stamped with the uh, the date and the the time. So there's no questioning, did I take it today? Did I forget to take it today? they've uh, They've thought of all that stuff. So um, check them out. It's easy to enroll. They'll take care of the switchover from your pharmacy to them. Super easy and uh, you can sign up through pillpack.com slash happy hour and uh, just go there to check it out and lets them know that uh, you're a listener and that you guys uh, support the show. I want to also give some some love to a Brain HQ. It's, uh, it's this really cool uh, training system. It's a uh, they have 26 different exercises that uh, can do a variety of things to, to help your brain. It can it can work with your attention, um, your memory, uh, your brain speed, uh, and a lot more. And they do actually work. Um, research has been shown at uh, institutions like the Mayo Clinic and Yale uh, that there are real measurable benefits uh, to the brain, sometimes even 10 years improvement in memory. Um, and the, the cool thing is, is as your brain adapts and changes, um these exercise these exercises um move with them as well so it it um it adapts and works with your brain <laughs> Look, my brain is shutting down telling me how oh, this helps your brain if that's not a clue that i need to start going to this website and uh, doing some work. I don't know what does. But anyway, uh, it's a monthly subscription. It's uh, 14 a month. Yearly is $96 uh, a year. And uh, listeners get 10% off by going to brainhq.com slash happy hour. Once again, that's brainhq.com slash happy hour. So many of us have a war with our body. You know, this feeling like it, it has let me down and... Do you struggle with self care to this day? Um,
2: Yes. Uh, Not so much now. I've um, since I've been sober. A lot of the work I've been doing is learning to like the person that I am. And before, I genuinely hated myself and would. A lot of the ways that I would try to hurt myself is through food or drugs or alcohol. Like uh, not a lot of like external pain but like cutting myself or something like that but but just hoping if i like ate enough bad food it would kill me um there there are moments even just like in the last year where i could not understand why i hated myself so much and that's been kind of this this new awakening for me is to make my head the safest place i can go um, when it has always been the most dangerous.
1: How do you how do you do that?
2: Um, this I n- no judgment because um, I I I didn't even like for all my life I had a mantra going. You're a piece of shit. This isn't good enough, and I didn't even notice that I was doing that constantly until um, I practiced trying to be just more mindful. Um, uh, there, there's lots of different ways to do that. Like, you know, people meditate or, um, you know, just try to be present in a moment. And it's, it's when I started doing that more often that I noticed what my head was really thinking. And a lot of it was, I'm not good enough. I'm a piece of shit, this, that, or the other thing. Um, no one will ever love you. Um, and then, you know, even when I hear that voice now, I, um, I, I don't try to like shut it off by like, stop, you can't think like that. I just, I recognize it as, as it just, it just is, um, you know, and that's the part of myself that I
1: need to love. Um, are you able to love that voice in yourself and accept it as part of who you are, or is that voice still kind of your enemy?
2: Sometimes. Yes, sometimes no. And and it's, it's also a thing where it's, it's habitual and comfortable to fall into that. Like it, it would be like, you know, going like relapsing or something like where, you know, if I just let my head go full on, you're the worst person ever. Like there's a part of me that enjoys that.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a warm, stinky blanket. Yeah, it has a familiar (laughs) smell to it. And it's kind of comfortable. Because there's nothing new about yeah, it. No surprises. It takes no effort. You just, all, you just be. Exactly. It's like, this is me laying on a couch. Exactly. And just letting it talk and I don't have to do anything. I can just nod my head and agree. And there's no war because it's a, it's a kind of a sick surrender. Right. Right. Um,
2: and, it was that voice and that way of thinking that once I was diagnosed with diabetes, I had first, um, I just had to take medicine, but then I eventually became insulin dependent, um, which means I have to take insulin and put it in my stomach and inject myself um, once at night and then throughout the day um, before I eat. And getting down to that level of having to control my food, I just wanted to rebel
1: so much. Um, and would you frequently do it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what would you experience in your body when you would do um, that? Would you still be taking your insulin or would you go I, off that?
2: I would. Well, and that, And it became, oh, I can eat whatever I want because now I can just give myself the appropriate amount of insulin. But um, I wouldn't be scientific in any way about it. I would just fill a syringe up and poke myself. I'm like, all right, now i got to eat enough to hopefully
1: combat the insulin because if i don't then i'm gonna go into you know my blood sugar level will be too low right right (laughs) correct yeah
2: yeah um i would uh blood sugar high feels like you're really irritable kind of feel like your whole body's restless like your skin's trying to crawl off um blood sugar low you get sweaty um dizzy shaky um it feels like you could pass out or or die um and that even that's like a cheap high you know like getting to like really low blood sugar um and like a, there's a part of me I'm like oh i have low blood sugar this is good that means i'm i like in my head that would mean oh i'm i don't have high blood sugar this is good I'm, right i'm about to die um but when it got to that point um that's when I started throwing up food because,
1: um, so it wasn't until you were diabetic that you started throwing up food. Yeah. You, you would binge before that, but okay.
2: Yeah, I would only binge, but when it became, when food became evil in my mind, like, you know, if I eat this, it makes me sick. That's when it like, I have to get it out of me. And, um, cause you're a problem solver. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Exactly and i see you as a go-getter i don't see right. any problems with any of this i see a guy who maps things out works through a flow chart and uh end of interview yeah get out of here not second up <laughs> so go ahead um
2: and uh it's i remember like starting like it's harder than you might think um especially depending on what you eat like if you eat stuff that's dry and hard you can't get it up but like you can't throw it up um and send so, so there kind of becomes it's like plan what you're gonna binge and throw up and like how much water you need to drink really you, yeah um and like getting a tool like i used the handle of a toothbrush because um like finger wouldn't do it after a while and like and that was something i could just leave in my mouth and do because your gag reflex got
1: uh, I'm not changed. Sh- uh, well,
2: and then it's like gross, like vomiting mm-hmm. on your hand. Like the whole thing is, is not glamorous.
1: But um do you ever consider a big cock? <laughs> 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 um, in, in my show. mind, that's a two for one. You get to explore your sexuality. Right. And you've got a bulimic solution. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> right now, there is a handful of people that are so offended and some of them are probably still listening, just to see if they can get more offended, so that their email to me can be full—a full diatribe. Uh, go ahead. Uh, and I'm right. sorry if I'm if I'm crossing the line, but you know, we've been hanging out. We went and we got breakfast this morning, and we hung out a little last night after after we interviewed Kira. And uh, I just enjoy your guys' company, and I feel very um, free to kind of let that that. Uh, part of my brain go so so um that and that's basically him saying yeah luck yeah. you
2: so <laughs> moving on have no. i offended
1: you no 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 no. okay
2: no. all right <laughs> um so this is this so i'd only done it like a couple times but i would still there'd be these moments where i'd be like driving through a drive through and not i could not stop myself like the car would just go and get the food and i'd like be crying and eating like I can't not do this I don't know what's wrong with me was
1: it almost like you were watching yourself do it oh yeah absolutely um
2: and um I'd always I'd always used like drugs and alcohol as well and um mid-20s I got sober um and started going to support groups and not using drugs and alcohol anymore and that's when the food thing got out of control.
1: Um, the, that, the whack-a-mole. Yeah,
2: the playing whack-a-mole. Changing the seats on the Titanic, I yeah. guess. Yeah, because then I just went full bore. Like, now alcohol and drugs aren't slowing me down. I can focus completely on this
1: addiction. Were, were there um, parts of yourself that you got in touch with between stopping the drugs and alcohol and the eating disorder taking off? Things that you consciously were like, oh, I don't want to feel this. Um, or was it just a general disease? Well, no,
2: because uh, I, um, I, I had been married when I got sober, and we, we split up because just getting sober and staying together didn't work out, and so there was that divorce happening, and um, I'm a law
1: student, and law school is really hard. Um, so I don't just, think you have enough on your plate. <laughs> And that is not meant as a as a pun for your uh your your thing. No, oh, I didn't catch that. I uh, did it immediately after I said it and hated myself. Um, You're getting a divorce. Pick pick up there. So, um, I had had my
2: bottom with drugs and alcohol once the divorce had started because we had split up, and then I'd been sober without talking to anyone or working with anyone and that didn't work. And I went back just as hard. And so I started getting sober and what were your substances? Um, mostly party drugs and then alcohol. Cause alcohol is always available, but, um, it's a great soother, right? I loved MDMA and I loved hallucinogens so much cause they would take hours and hours. You could like fill your whole day. you know if you take mushrooms and acid and then, um, I would always use nitrous oxide with my hallucinogens. um, How do you? Would you just do
1: whippets, or what would you? Yeah, but um, that is that is such a high maintenance drug, right? Um, Well, there's
2: there's ways to make it easier, and then um, like I was a pro at it. Like I was so awful, Um, not awful, but so into it that uh, because you can get them, you can get whipped cream chargers. Um, And just fill those with individual whippets. Um, And there are times you can get like tanks of them and like gas masks. Um, But if you pair that with an hallucinogen, it's how people portray drugs in movies, like where it's mind boggling and you see the face of God and stuff. Um, And I remember doing, when I would do that, you know, I would like, be completely gone um it's a i would I had of disassociate from all the f- feelings that i didn't want to feel or didn't understand whatsoever um but then i i had a bottom with that where it just it just got too far and i was in law school and um i became sober when food came to the pictures because no one questions like overeating every night, like when you go out to dinner or something, or um, everyone jokes about like, oh, I can't not eat this cake or this pie or something. But it was it was genuine that, um, but it was so easy to hide amongst humor. And,
1: and and if you're throwing it up, they think, oh, he's just got a big appetite, right? Right? Yeah, exactly. Um,
2: so I wasn't like uh, I wasn't really overweight, like just kind of normal American chubby it was easy to hide and it it seemed to there were parts of me I was not willing to let go when I got sober of just being a live wire to the universe there I, I still needed something between me and the rest of humanity um, and food was able to give me those moments of while I'm binging this is all I have to focus on and then when I'm purging all the, you know, because I, I associate food as bad. I'm getting rid of all that bad stuff. That's all gone now. I don't have to worry about what I just did.
1: I hear people often describe um, their eating disorder as clean. It yeah. makes me feel clean. Absolutely. It makes me feel perfect. It makes Absolutely. me feel. Yeah.
2: Like everything. I am literally expelling everything I hate out of myself.
1: Um, and is there a, a euphoria to the expelling? Or is it just a process, and the feel, the good feeling is afterwards, and it's um, intellectual.
2: There, there is. There's both because you do have like serotonin, dopamine receptors in your stomach because it is all tied into the reward center of your brain. If you eat stuff, it's supposed to feel good. Um, it works the same way coming out too. And then there's just and, and when you have these rituals and can fetishize things, it you know it makes it yours. Um,
1: and that's its own high, too. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know,
1: it's it's your thing. And especially that,
2: like, never told anyone.
1: Was there a ritual that you would engage in getting ready to, to eat, setting stuff up? Um, Maybe in the beginning where I would just put on a top hat and reach for a fork.
2: It was, it was mostly um, just breaking down. Like, I would wake up in the morning like, okay, going to eat normal today. And then as soon as it was nighttime and I was driving home, like I have to go to a bunch of drive-ins and the grocery store and get as much ice cream as I can and hate myself and then go throw up and then do it some more if I have more food. Um, but it would be, you know, just like the numbers of food I would have to get and like being so concerned, like what if I don't get enough when like I don't want to come back to the grocery store? um
1: so would you overbuy
2: oh yeah all the time and then i would throw away what was extra and so like just
1: like wasting money on food and did you ever do the thing where people throw stuff in the garbage basket in the waste paper basket and then um pull it out and have Uh, that battle with yourself of
2: yeah i had done that all the time or like yeah
1: anything if something left something over um, yeah. Would you try to kill it, you know, like putting a cigarette out in it or, you're, you know, spoiling it somehow? Because that's the other thing people would do is, you know, they'd run water on it or... No, I would eat it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, it would, it would... Or, like... No, there's, like, times even I'd go to, you know, a restaurant and, like, just go sit at someone's table who had left. Really? Left oh, yeah. If And it's just, oh, I'm, you know, Tyler's so and weird
1: like play it off as being goofy, but does that bring up any feelings sharing that and recalling that? Is there—is there shame? Is there a feeling of healthiness now that you don't do that? Maybe, I, I think just more
2: that I never thought before. I just reacted to whatever was going on. Um, whatever feeling I needed to, like, if it was joy, I needed to up it. If it was sadness, I needed to get rid of it. And I never really thought much further than that. Um, and I feel like I do now. And, um, I, I don't have a lot of shame for things just because, just because I've, hated myself so much so like now i try just to see you know things that i might have been ashamed about before as um ways to understand who i am as a person and just understand the human condition in general
1: what changed for you other than getting sober to help you get that under control because you did you go to a support group for that or did you just kind of so this is even kind of
2: at the beginning of this year things had gotten really bad just like every night binging and purging and then I would um, take too much insulin too. so that'd be like nights where things would go bad and then I found a support group that was centered on issues with food and I heard what they had to say and I thought okay I've gotten their tools I'm just gonna apply them for myself And that lasted like maybe a couple months. And then I was back at it worse than I had ever been. It's
1: it's so common, too. It's so common. I think people forget that it's that energy of those other people and being in daily contact with them. that
2: is Absolutely. And um, when I'd finally, you know, like basically I had a bottom with food is uh, I'd been binging and purging all day like it was like a saturday or sunday and like i just started the day eating like i ate a whole case of oreos or something and then just went off from there and i gave myself a ton of insulin and i'd walked outside and then i just remember waking up on the floor like i had i had passed out and so i go back inside and eat as much food as i can and make myself throw up some more and it took me like a couple days later to realize I had been passed out on the floor outside like none of that had occurred to me when it had happened um, wow like it was just and it took like I, w- I went back to that support group and I said that and it would like took me saying it out loud to people to realize this has become life-threatening and there had been moments where I'd realized that it was just as bad as drugs and alcohol had ever been.
1: You having only been sober for a year, 18 months uh, from drugs and alcohol, I'm so impressed at how far you've come and how much insight and compassion you have. It's You clearly have done a lot of the work and really done a lot of the stuff that's suggested and support groups, and it's really admirable.
2: Thank you for saying that. Um, It it really is not, it it isn't me. It is because of these support groups that I can, you know, do that. And that's something I would always recommend to someone is be able to meet like-minded people and be able to talk and, you know, not be
1: alone anymore. Talk about the things that people have in their head the fears, and the reservations they have about going into a support group, whether or not you had any of those, and if and how they were dispelled.
2: Um, The biggest one, and you'll hear a lot of support groups, they'll focus on the idea of a higher power, or they'll even outright say, like, belief in God or something like that. And there was no way I was going anywhere where somebody said God or prayer. Cause I thought it was for weak people or stupid people like the, like to believe in, it was like believing in Santa Claus or unicorns or something. The idea that there's, you know, in my head, I always believed that people thought of just like a guy with a big white beard and, um, lording over us and growing up
1: in, little rock where it was southern baptist um and and people were using the n-word right which will turn you off to god <laughs> faster than anything else and there was this this because uh my parents um
2: there was no religion in our home and so it was genuinely surprising to me to hear people talk about god as real or like the stories in the bible as real um I had spent the night at a friend's house in Arkansas, and then on Sunday morning, we went to um, Sunday school, and they were talking about the story of Jonah and the whale, um, which is a guy gets eaten by a whale, and then he's not dead and alive somewhere later. And I, I remember looking at the children, like, wait, you believe this? Like, clearly, you can't be eaten by a whale. And that's when my heathenism started.
1: Um, I, my my parents are, are you are you calling that it that kind of in air quotes or did you really do you really think no, of yourself it was, as a as no a, just
2: uh, kind of more humorous okay and like, uh, my parents got called into school and I was in the office because I had told my teacher I believed in reincarnation and like they sent me home for the day <laughs> it was just too weird was it a public school or a- yeah public school wow um
1: wow
2: because that was i had like when i was a child i was like very serious i obsessed about the idea of death when i was like eight years old and like could not let go of it until my mom started talking about different things like maybe reincarnation or and like that I was like okay if i can come back then that's fine and i guess i said that at school and
1: got in trouble um and this would have been what in the nineties?
2: Yeah, nineties, <sighs> Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, and then, yeah, like I was like militantly a- atheist when I was in high school. Um, like I felt like religion was like the root of all evil or one of them. Um, and that has been that was like the initial hurdle to start going to a support group, but it seems so shallow and. Like like I was so petulant, like just and it was just all ego preventing me from meeting those people in those support groups who knew where I was coming from. and um, when I just let myself be open to the idea of I'm not the center of the universe, and clearly I don't have it figured out because I keep hurting myself um i might as well try something else and you know i had a lot of like you know, the universe i like that idea or um
1: i and, and the support groups aren't a uh, religion as you know it's a spiritual program for for living
2: right and, and that was one of those like hokey like you know my head before i Done it myself. Like whenever I hear somebody like, "Well, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual." I thought that was like such a hokey, like ugh, new age hippie bullshit. Um, but I'm kind of a new age hippie bullshitter, I guess.
1: <laughs> um, and there's as many people that call themselves spiritual that are as full of shit as the hypocrites who call themselves religious or Christians or you know, whatever. Hypocrisy, they're they're working. So yeah, I get it. I mean, I'm I am probably more prejudiced against the people that wear, uh, you know, the robes and the Indian garb in Sedona and overuse the word sacred as I am <laughs> the priests that are pedophiles. Right. Um, so yeah, it's there's there's a lot of bad shit and and probably all three of us have moments of incredible hypocrisy in in our recovery um you know there's times i catch myself doing something that is so petulant and childish and vindictive you know in my sobriety that i, I feel like the the worst you know southern baptist hi- hypocrite <laughs> y- using the n-word in the parking lot after uh, after church so I think we all maybe have have to realize that we're doing the best we're doing the best we can and trying to find what works for us.
2: Absolutely, um, yeah. And I I think of it as because I'm human, that's always going to be a part of me. Like I'm, I can't just be a a being of light, but um, what I can do with that knowledge, I guess, is relying on me.
1: Well, that's beautiful you know um i i'm just going to say it again i'm so struck by how far you've come in such a short amount of time and the um how you've kind of um made friends with your demons um you know it makes me think that there's that the, and, and i've heard this before But I struggle to do it, which is to make friends with my demons, to accept that that voice is a part of me and it's not something that I'm ever going to kill. I just need to find a way to put my arm around it and say, thank you for sharing.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I remember one tool I had used when I, I, I was trying to make friends with myself was um, I carry a picture of myself as a child like on my cell phone and whenever that, that mantra of you suck, you're a piece of shit would kick up. I'd try to say that to that child and usually it was impossible to try to direct that kind of hatred towards a kid. Yeah. That and, makes and, sense. You know, and just, and just putting it outside of myself like if I did what I do to myself to another person – I would be in prison or institutionalized. Um, maybe sorry. Go ahead. I
1: was just gonna say maybe I shouldn't say to my uh, inner child, "I'm not hitting you. You're hitting yourself." Right. <laughs> you know that thing that you do when you'd be <laughs> you'd be on top of somebody and you're hitting them. Stop hitting me. I'm not hitting you. You're hitting you because you're punching them with their own fist. Stop A lot these. of my jokes are really falling flat this afternoon. It's early. It's, it's early. <laughs>
2: Um, but the what you just talked about remind, there's, there's a Buddhist like kind of myth story about a monk who go li- to meditate and be a hermit in a cave. And he goes to the cave and it's full of demons and he tries to scare them all off and that doesn't work. Um, and cursing at him and being, being mean and they stay. So he says, all right, I guess you're going to be here I have to stay. And as soon as he does that, most like all the demons disappear except for one and he says ah you must be a particularly vicious demon and so the monk puts his head inside the demon's mouth and the demon disappears
1: the buddhists have some of the greatest i don't know where they metaphors analogies riddles yeah. tales
2: it's like running into an old friend or something who thinks like you like that you like a stranger um if you feel like you really connect with
1: yet. Yeah, there's an acceptance and a surrender to Buddhism that is so beautiful, but so difficult. Yeah. If you have the slightest bit of control freak in you, it's like, why would I do that? Why would I hand over my power? But our power is so illusory. Is that the right word? Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up?
2: No, this is, this was a blast. And, and just, I, I, I appreciate this podcast so much. Um, I know it's helped me not feel alone a lot of times and it made me able to talk about some of the issues I had. Um, like when I would hear someone talking about their eating disorder and something, cause, um, that made me willing to go seek out other people. Um, that made me feel, you know, because normally I don't hear about it in, in men. Um, and
1: right. many men in the surveys, by the way, struggle with eating disorders. Right. And I know lots of guys in recovery that struggle with eating yeah, disorders. And you so. know,
2: I'm sure it's it's pretty common and frequent. And just what we, we don't recognize that behavior is addictive because we need to eat to live. And you know it, it's one of those addictions that's more acceptable because you know you're not going to lose your job or something for it.
1: Yeah. But it, it you know you, yeah you got to deal with that th- at least three times a day because you got to eat. And you know, joking aside, it's it's one of the addictions that I feel the most amount of compassion and respect for people who have found a way to live with it because it is it seems so like it must take such focus and dedication and commitment to to live with it because it you can forget about being an alcoholic for a couple of days a couple of weeks but i would imagine you can't forget for even half a day that you have an eating disorder
2: yeah, um, and that's that's why a support group is so critical, to be able to, you know, check in with other people and, you know, be accountable in a way, because um, just I'll justify anything if I'm just left to myself, but um, part of being the support group, too, is if you're successful, you can show someone else how to do it, and that's probably the greatest thing one person can do for another.
1: Let's end with this. Talk to the person who's sitting there right now listening to this that has an eating disorder but cannot bring themselves to go to a support group because there is some nebulous fear in them that is keeping them from picking up the phone and finding out where there is a support group near them.
2: Um, I mean, clearly you're not alone. Um it's not abnormal or awful um, the things you feel or do there's people to talk to that can help you and surprisingly enough remove this obsession and madness Um, there is a way to get away from this illness Um, and I don't, I personally don't live with the constant guilt or shame, um, and I'm able to, like, be normal, um, when I could never be normal around food. And no one will, I thought everyone would judge me, um, no one has ever, and I can't say this will always be, but just no one will ever say, like, oh, you have an eating disorder, you're less of a person because of it. And because one, it's not true. And, and two, like it's something that, that you, you can solve. Um, and just if anyone does have that fear, um, I love you very much. Um, you know, things only started to change when I was willing to put it outside of myself. And talk to other people
1: thank you so much a big thank you to uh, to Tyler for that I'd gotten uh, quite a few emails from uh, from uh, guys in the last several years who are like you know I I struggled with a, with an eating disorder and I would really like to hear my story um, from from somebody else and so I was glad we were uh, we were able to put that one up there and thanks to Tyler for being so so honest about about all that stuff um before I get to uh, an email and some surveys, I want to remind you guys a couple of different ways to support the show. Uh if you feel like it, if you don't, hey. Sit there in your jacuzzi. Sip your champagne. Have uh supermodels feed strawberries into your mouth. You don't have to support the show. You've got a Learjet to drive around. <laughs> Again, the helicopter still circling outside. Welcome to Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen, where the danger never ends. Listen to that. (laughs) I used to do a joke in my act where it was like, how do you tell, what do you tell kids when you try to raise them here and you hear that that sound, you know, every other week? And uh, the joke was, Daddy, what's that? What's that sound? Oh, that's the sound of a poorly planned escape route and the fear of being sodomized. Um, let's, oh yeah, um, you can go to the website. I had such a huge amount of pie before I started taping tonight. I think I'm on the backside of the pie. I think I'm, I think I am right now, uh, crawling down the crack of the, of the pie. I'm on its backside and I'm going to be somewhere in its shoes in about a half hour. Let's ho- let's pray that we can get through this before I totally crash. And I and I stood over the pie eating it like somebody was going to catch me. Now I don't I don't have an an eating disorder, but why do I eat it like I'm afraid somebody's going to catch me? I don't I don't understand that. Um is it impatience that I'm just I don't know. I'm fucking weird. <sighs> yeah, you can go to the I'm just going to erase the entire show at this point. Um, You can go to the website and make a one-time PayPal donation or a recurring monthly donation, which is huge to supporting the show. Either one is greatly appreciated. You can shop at Amazon through our search portal. Um, You can buy a T-shirt. You can buy a coffee mug um, through our site. Not through the Amazon link, but through through our site, separate from the Amazon link. Oh, it's all spiraling. I, I pray for the helicopter to come back in shine the light here into my office and gun me down with a sniper rifle that might be a little dramatic gun down me and my dogs with a sniper rifle uh yeah i'm i'm done with the with a god bless you regular listeners that you you hear moments like this again and again and again, and you come back for more. I know. A lot of you write and say, we like the mistakes. They're, uh, thank God. Thank God. All right. I want to read an email that I got from a listener who calls herself, um, I think, DVD. Yes, DVD. Um, and she had written me. I'm not going to read the whole original email that she wrote me, but she's basically saying that she's wants to have a better relationship with her dad. Um, he was abusive when they were kids. He had an explosive temper, but you know, he also used to take her hunting and stuff like that, and fishing, and you know, they had nice moments together. But she never knew when he was gonna, he was gonna kind of explode. And she's trying to be closer to him, but she's feeling uh, an incongruency um, in dealing with him. And so I said, uh, I think a lot of a struggle with a parent who is both dark and light. And I try to remember that I am as well. But I think the important thing to ask ourselves is, do I get something positive out of my interactions with them today? Because personally, I don't with my mom, and that's why I cut contact with her. But uh, if she, you know, had become a person who wasn't toxic, I could, I think, easily forgive the stuff um, from the past. So it's much more important about what that parent is bringing today and how they how you interact with them and how they are able to accept you now being more expressive about what you feel since you couldn't express that as a, as a child. And, um, and so she wrote back and, uh, I really want to protect him. He's a very fragile man. And I think I always sense that. So I would play daddy's, uh, girl, partly to protect everyone, um, Trying to keep him happy, but also partly because I thought he needed that from me. So I resented him, and he would be surprised to know any of it. I worry about what he can handle now than uh, more than I did before. He's always been depressed, um, and since my younger brother left home, he's isolated. He took all his pride in being a father, and his shame about everything else, etc., etc. The thing is, I don't know what I might gain gain from that. Uh, I don't think what I might gain from that is worth causing him pain. I want him to think we're fine and have been fine forever. I don't know if there's an intimacy there I'm avoiding and avoiding honesty, but still. And, because I had suggested to her, you know, open up in a diplomatic way to him about, you know, that you don't want to punish him, but you feel, you want to feel closer to him and you need him to understand these things that, that kind of hurt you as a kid. And um, and so when she sent me that last thing back about, do you think there's an intimacy that can be achieved there? And my opinion, you know, and I and I always preface this with it: I'm not a therapist, but my opinion is is the intimacy will be thin at best with somebody that you have bottled up feelings about, and maybe go talk to a therapist because honestly, I, I couldn't continue playing the parent. Uh, to my parent, it almost killed me because then my addictions, uh, exploded, trying to cope with the feelings of sadness and abandonment and rage. And I would imagine you've got probably some of those feelings bottled up in you and to not share those, uh, with your dad. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just wonder how, how you don't need to be mean about it, but I think you, you let need to let that person know that there is a part of you that's trying to heal Um, And it's all about communication and finding the right words. And I think that's why support group or therapy would be good to help you with that. Um, Yeah. So there you go. I thought that was an important topic to to touch on because I think there's a lot of people that have that. That feel like I should like this parent but I can't. Well, there's no should when it comes to feelings. You know, forget about should. Our feelings are our feelings. All right. This is an awful-some moment. Um... Look at us, right out of the gate with an awfulsome. I don't care. I'm a renegade. Go little awfulsome right up top. This is filled out by Jan Exer. She writes, My college boyfriend brought me a heart-shaped box of chocolates for Valentine's Day. I think I'd eaten one or two by the next day when he returned to my dorm room with his brother and they proceeded to eat the entire box of chocolates as my roommate and I looked on in disbelief. At one point, my boyfriend's brother asked him if it was okay for them to be eating the chocolates. My boyfriend replied, well, yeah, I bought them. (sighs) Uh, I don't know if there is a douchier human being on the planet than an entitled college guy. I really don't. And I've been that guy. So, um, (laughs) just a walking ball of awfulsome. Uh, this is from the, what has helped you survey filled out by Alex, uh, who is a transgender, uh, female to male. And, uh, he is asexual and, uh, his issues are anxiety, depression, ADHD, anger, and overwhelming emotions. And what helps him is, um, the only effective ways I've found to handle it when anxiety, rage, or despair, um, when they seem all-consuming, is drowning it out with sometimes even more intense things. Uh, one thing I do is get in my car, put on the headphones, and blast the loudest, fastest punk rock I can find singing along at the top of my lungs. Thank you for that. that uh, I bet that is uh, incredibly cathartic. This is from the vacation arguments one of our one of our fringe surveys, but uh, oh man, there is nothing like a good vacation argument. And this is filled out by Heidi and um, oh Heidi hi, she says. Um, I thought it was Heidi, and she's saying hi to me. My honeymoon was memorable for all the wrong reasons. I was very anxious and traveled only 2 hours away from home in the same country and when me and my new husband arrived I was full I was in full on panic mode and told him to take me home. He clearly refused so I threatened to go to the nearest cop station and inform them that he had kidnapped me and was holding me against my own will. Safe to say I stayed. However, my mum and dad did have to come stay, and ended up sleeping in the hotel on the bathroom floor on a blow-up bed. The running joke is that my husband spent more time with my parents than his own wife on his honeymoon. We laugh now, but at the time, it was hell for all involved. <laughs> that that could definitely be an awfulsome moment. Uh, this is from What Has Helped You, filled out by easily broken she's in her 30s and has depression anxiety ocd and body shame what helps her my husband being incredibly supportive my zoloft prescription and my cats also i have a new medical doctor who is very patient and understands that my feelings are just as important as my body when it comes to how i am feeling boy keep that keep that doctor because that is so so important that's great um This is from the Being Hospitalized survey filled out by Lucille. Uh, She's 17. And, um... Why were you hospitalized? Eating disorder, self-harm, depression, anxiety, bulimia, and anorexia. Describe your experience. Being hospitalized pushed me until I felt I needed to recover. I was having no luck up until that point. I had already spent some time in outpatient programs, but I was making no progress. That's pretty common. That's her saying that's pretty common, not me. Um... I found out that's pretty common. I found out uh, a lot of the friends I met in out and inpatient also benefited from. Again, I'm going to go rewind the entire show. A lot of the friends I met in out and inpatient also benefited from a stint inpatient or in a residential center. The feeling of powerlessness in that environment is awful, but it's the only way to really push me, and a lot. Of other people with eating disorders slash self-harm out of our nest and that makes sense there is a beauty to surrendering and realizing we're powerless over something that uh, that we can't manage this is from what has helped you filled out by scratch he's in his 20s struggles with anxiety and depression what's helped meds uh cbt therapy that stands for cognitive behavioral therapy uh, meditation uh, the podcast I ought to have a little bell that I ring when uh, when people when i when I pat myself on the back uh, research into the causes and effects of these diseases, creating slash helping people. Uh things that make me happy with the way I spend my time. When I'm really suffering, I play out dialogue internally between myself and Eckhart Tolle's voice, imagining what he probably would say about what I'm feeling, or sometimes asking myself questions in Paul's voice the way he might to a guest of the podcast. This method of having Tolle and Paul inside my head is characters helps me get towards the meat of why I'm experiencing these feelings. Uh, It helps me to see them from an outside point of view, which can empower me to take control of them a lot easier. That makes perfect sense to me, but I should let you know I am in the Actors Guild and you owe me residuals. This is from the Being Hospitalized survey, filled out by Cupcake1990, and uh, she was suicidal She was hospitalized for actively suicidal major depressive disorder. Uh, How was your experience? It absolutely helped. If I was not hospitalized, I would still be planning my death. Being hospitalized, I was taken away from all of the avenues I had previously used to plan my death, and I made the decision to live. If I skip my medication, suicidal thoughts rush into my mind, so I have to stay on them. Sometimes I still hide and cry when I see others with genuine happiness, but thankfully I have an amazing local support system who notices when I feel this way because I include them on my journey. The stigma doesn't bother me too much because I have to live. Uh, I have learned people will not be better off without me, so hospitalization is what it took. Thank you for sharing that. And and I know a lot of people have had negative hospitalizations um, experiences, but I'm so happy to hear when there are good ones. And I think the key to to what she shared too was that she has a local support system. I know I would be dead without a support system. No amount of intellectual knowledge would um, have gotten me um, any forward progress. Let's see. This one I wanted to read, um, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Billy and his brother was hospitalized and he writes, my brother downed an entire bottle of pills. I have no doubt that he actually wanted to die. He just wanted attention. Describe your experience as a patient or visitor. Uh, As a visitor, I had no interest in seeing him honestly. This is around the third time he's put himself in the hospital and since he resists every form of help, I've stopped extending it to him. I think this is the kind of thing that group is great for um, if there's a forced group meeting in there, at least forced on the patient. And uh, and the family wants to come because it's a neutral environment to express the fact that you are frustrated that this person, that, that you are not helping yourself. Because at a certain point, um, people will leave you because they will, you've got to, you've got to want to help yourself. You've got to try to help yourself. And um boy that's a that's a tough situation my heart goes out to anybody who's who's experiencing that and i have the feeling there's a lot of you know whether it's suicide or addiction or whatever um, i don't think you should ever feel um, guilt about distancing yourself from somebody that refuses help um, where is that line I think each person's got to figure that out. I'm saying, hey, I gave it the, the college try. I expressed myself. Um, all right. This is the shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself junk man. He is, um, in his thirties. He's straight. Uh, never been sexually abused, been emotionally abused, um, uh, but doesn't specify. Very minor forms of both. Uh, spanked as a kid, bullied at school as a kid, um, Darkest thoughts. My mind throws nasty shit at me. Like, what if I stamp on my... Stamp on my cat's tail? Uh, now, after I've just fed him my cat who I love, and I'm only ever sweet to. Sometimes when I'm rooting around the toolbox, I'll get an image of caving one of my friend's heads in with the hammer. Or I'll be walking through the house with a Stanley knife uh, and have the thought of slashing one of them, then shudder. Um, dude, I think everybody does that. You know? I I don't think I've ever picked up a baseball bat and not thought about caving somebody's head in. Though as shitty of a hitter as I was in Little League, I'd probably miss him. Um, Darkest Secrets. I once jacked off to a picture of my grandmother as a young woman. I so wish I had a time machine so I could go back to that photography session and just adjust her hair a little bit and then whisper in her ear, I am from the future." I'm from the future, and I just want to make you're sure you're pretty because your grandson is going to whack to this. <sighs> I just cracked myself up. Um, sexual fantasies. Oh, and he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Lesbian, uh, lesbian incest. Um, and he feels shame sharing that. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I find you attractive. I can't say this because I don't know what I would do if they reciprocate. What do you wish for? A love life and to be able to love life. Oh, that ought to be on a t-shirt. Have you shared these things with others, only the stuff about my shit love life. Why would I tell anyone the rest? How do you feel after writing these things down? Like a man smelling his own farts. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I hope you don't stay like me too long. And any comments to make the podcast better? more tits and teeth. You are my new best friend, junk man. You are awesome. You are awesome. sending you some love. Oh man, I just I just love when I read a survey that just... Uh, I know you guys you guys know what I'm saying. Where it's just like, oh, we're all connected. We are all connected. Uh, This was a vacation argument filled out by Big J. He's 42. He writes, I got in a huge argument with my father many years ago on vacation. We were in Reno, Nevada, and he wanted to go to the world famous Mustang ranch brothel. We walked in and sat at the bar. He immediately picked a giant breasted 40 something lady with a Dolly Parton hairdo and went back. I sat at the bar drinking, being propositioned by several ladies thanking them, but no. When he came out, his smile turned to anger when he realized I had not picked a girl. What's wrong with you? What have you turned into a fag? He berated me for hours. He was completely ashamed and disgusted by me. The whole next day, he shamed me. He really ruined the whole vacation because I didn't fuck a prostitute. I would love to hear you pitch that at Disney. That, But, but insist that it has to be animated. Insist. Uh I I know I always mention whatever book I'm reading a gazillion times but the book I'm reading healing the shame that binds he talks about how people filled with shame transfer their shame to other people and that's boy what a textbook example of your dad feeling shame but then putting it on you because he doesn't want to look at his own issues uh same survey filled out by a guy who calls himself the hero of time and um he is bisexual in his 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um, I don't think this counts as sexual abuse. I think there's abuse unrelated to the sexual aspect of this. Um I don't know, let me just read it. Typical uh he writes typical camping gay experience story. Me and my friend had gotten really drunk and the next thing I know, we are making out. As it progresses, I keep having thoughts that I should stop this because we both have girlfriends, but I never stopped him. We only did oral sex, and the next morning I left and went to my dad's house. I pulled over and forced myself to come as I masturbated thinking about my girlfriend. I cried the entire three-hour drive to Memphis to visit my dad. A few weeks later, the guy told everyone in his group of friends that I had instigated everything and that I had begged him for hours to mess around with me. Needless to say, I drove to his house after I found out that he had said that and kicked his ass in front of his family. They knew better than to press charges, and I drove away while he was still lying in his driveway with a broken nose and lots of bruises. It still did not help my embarrassment and shame. Um... Ever been physically or emotionally abused? Been emotionally abused. Uh, girls are more sneaky about their emotional abuse than ever! Exclamation point. I spent two years under the thumb of a girl that I thought I needed because she told me I did. I lost so many friends because of her and I want those two years of my life back. Uh, any positive experiences with the abuser? Yes, there were moments with the emotionally abusive girlfriend that I felt genuinely loved. However that was in the honeymoon phase of the relationship that ended quickly and that's always that phase they that that they and i don't think they do it consciously but where they groom they groom you so that um they give you what you need so then they can get off on taking it away and and hurting you i th- i think that's what they get out of it um i don't know that's just my guess i i think it's a lot of the same dynamic as um uh predators You know, it's kind of an emotional, um, being emotionally predatory, presenting a a mask of here, I'm everything you want me to be in the beginning so I can lure you in and and feed off you. Uh, You're listening to the animal planet. (laughs) Uh, Any positive experience? Yes, I read that. Darkest thoughts. Sex. All the time. Maybe it's because it has been so long since I've had any besides myself, but I just need one day or night or both of good fucking. I want someone to want me, not because they are drunk or because they are desperate, but genuinely because they find me attractive and sexually desirable. Darkest Secrets. I brought people home to my parents' house to do sexual acts with. One time, I brought a guy home and took him home afterwards. My mom asked me the next morning if anybody was here last night, and I said no. I feel more ashamed that it was somebody of the same gender that I brought home. I was raised that I was not supposed to be gay or bisexual, but after the camping incident, I have constantly struggled with what I am. I am 24 now, and I still struggle with what I want in life. I am attracted to both genders, but could not see myself being in an emotional relationship with a guy now, just a random physical hookup. I do want to eventually marry a woman and be in love with her and spend the rest of my life with her. I am still waiting for that woman to come into my life. Forget about the label. Forget about whatever label you you are. Um, you are who you are. We are who we are. And um, just, you're enough. You're fine exactly as you are. And you sound like you got a beautiful soul that, that wants love. Um, yeah. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. A girl begging to have sex with me. Plain and simple. I love being wanted because I am not used to it. What would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would tell the only girl I have ever genuinely loved that she broke my heart when she left me for one of my friends. Because of her, I am so afraid of committing to a relationship, which is why every time I start to feel something for someone, I distance myself after those feelings surface. Um, What, if anything, do you wish for... That everyone could find someone that is their other half. I see so many people who are so deeply lonely and it breaks my heart. Everyone should have someone. And you know, I say even more important than that is everyone should have self-love. Because if you don't have self-love, every relationship you're in is going to be rocky, if not doomed. Um, Have you shared any of this stuff with others? Yes, my female friend, who I could definitely see myself being in a relationship with... Uh, and she was completely understanding and supportive of whatever happened to me. if only she was interested in me would be perfect uh we would be perfect for each other. Well, you know what i i 've heard that thing be the person you want in a relationship, and that person there 's a good chance that person will show up. Just keep being that man just keep being vulnerable and loving and another vulnerable loving person will be see that in you and be attracted to it uh, in between you know five or six predatory fucking draining weirdos. But good luck to you. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? Better than when I started, however. Uh, What is with me and the punctuation? I'm just totally reading punctuation wrong tonight. Better than when I started, however. Writing these things down makes me confront these problems again. Maybe this is what I needed? Question mark. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You are not on anybody's time schedule but your own. Take your time to figure out who you are. And then he wrote some really, really sweet stuff um, about the podcast that warmed my heart. And I'm just sending you uh, sending you a big hug. This is a happy moment filled out by Hallie. She is uh, in her late teens. Her happy moment, whenever I'm really sad, I think back to when I was a sophomore in high school on a trip to New Orleans with my youth group in order to rebuild after Hurricane Katrina. Um, we were in, uh, Phoenix, Louisiana, washing the sides of some church when the sky just let loose. It was absolutely pouring rain and the thunder was insane. We all ran to the vans laughing and drove away on the way back to the city. We somehow ended up on top of the levee and couldn't figure out how to get back to the road. It was this huge ordeal and every single person in the van was laughing at how stupid we looked. It was just a nice day. There's there's nothing like laughing with a group of people when you, when you blunder or something. I, I love that feeling. I love that feeling. Uh, shame and secrets filled out by a guy who calls himself. Uh, we got a nice run of uh, men filling out the the shame and secrets uh, survey. Um, this is from uh, Mike, and he is straight in his twenties, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I was tickled by a gymnastics coach at a birthday party when I was six. It didn't seem like abuse at the time, and I actually enjoyed it, but now reflecting on it some 16, 15 years later, it seems weird and inappropriate. When I think about it, I'm filled with anger and want to figure out who it was to confront him, but at other times, I laugh about it, thinking about how naive kids can be and how I basically begged to be molested. Ha ha. Uh, He's been emotionally abused. Uh, My parents would play head games with me as a kid. My dad thought it was funny to lie about things like telling me the sky was actually green when I was convinced it was blue. After a year of doing this, he finally made me question myself, then called me stupid for believing him. Wow. That is so fucking cruel. That is so fucking cruel. Um, I remember feeling shame and embarrassed that I had been so stupid, even though I was seven. Um, the point that goes back to that thing of your dad shaming you because your dad was filled with shame, that he actually – that he – ah, ugh. Ever since then, I've questioned everything compulsively, never trusting myself to be right on anything. When I was 16, he started telling me I was autistic to the point he convinced me I had Asperger's syndrome. For years, I obsessed over it until I finally withdrew from all social activities and cutting myself off from all my friends. I felt I couldn't talk to people if I had it because they clearly would be humoring me and uninterested by the socially inept person boring them. The worst part is that I wouldn't know it and would be embarrassing myself and offending others. Finally, after about a year and a half of obsessing on this idea, I got tested where almost immediately they told me I showed no sign uh, of Asperger's syndrome, he was fucking with me again, and because of it, I have no close friends and feel completely alone all the time. I still can't get the thought out of my head that they're wrong and my father's right. I still have trouble talking to people and obsess over every little conversation, thinking about what I said and questioning if I'm interpreting things wrong or offending people. I obsess that something must be wrong with me and I can't see it, that I have personal, personality disorder or something else. I constantly analyze every action uh, now to figure out what I must have as I can't trust myself or anything I do. Oh man, he has ingrained his, he has embedded his chip in your brain as I'm sure uh, his parents did to him. Uh, Any positive experiences? Uh, He pays for my college tuition and has supported me throughout my sports career. Uh, I was, it sounds to me though that that doesn't necessarily mean he's emotionally supportive of you. That just could be his ego because he wants to, you know, look at my son, uh, I was captain of my high school and college lacrosse teams, and I can't help but think he had a big impact on that. All the metal abuse made me mentally strong in ways unparalleled by my teammates and friends throughout the years. Going through that metal hell every day means I can take a joke from anyone, even if someone's crossed a line, making it very easy for me to put strangers at ease and make new friends. But you know, the thought had cursed me, but what about protecting your soul? What about expressing what you're feeling? That's the toxic shit that will drag us down. Uh, Darkest thoughts? I think about doing heroin and cocaine all the time. I've never done either, and I'm proud to say that I haven't done any hard drugs before. But I get these cravings for it, like some psychotic lust. Just becoming a junkie in a crack house, strung out all day, every day. It seems so alluring for some reason. Every time I have these thoughts, I'm totally ashamed knowing that real drug addicts don't want to be in that situation, that life is a living hell for these people and they give anything to start over and not touch the stuff. Uh, It's this thought that keeps me away from ever trying it. And you know, my thought as I read that is you want to escape. You just want to, I know that's fucking totally obvious, but um, you want to escape from what is trapped inside you, which is probably a lot of fucking anger and what a dick your dad is um I mean that stuff that he did to you that is like I mean that's that is sadistic that is every bit as bad to me as sodomizing your child I'm sorry there will be people that will disagree with me but you are abusively penetrating your child's soul with, with that um Darkest Secrets. I think uh, my bullying of my younger brother caused his mood disorder. I did horrible things to him, including making fun of him till he cried, all the while feeling some sort of sick power. It's disgusting. He now acts out all the time and is failing most of his classes in high school and using pot and alcohol all the time. His teachers call home to report his misbehavior, and coaches have told me to uh, to get change his attitude. I've told me to, I don't know, I'm not sure what that means. I think it's a typo. I can't help but think that my actions towards him have made him feel isolated and alone, uh, causing him to feel like he asked to act out all the time. I'm nervous that when he goes off to college next year, something terrible will happen. and I'll have been the reason for it. If I had never been such a fucking asshole, maybe his life wouldn't be so screwed up now. <sighs> he has the same father that you do. And clearly the stuff that you put on to him was put on to you. And as I will read in this next paragraph, was put on to your parents by their parents. Um, his sexual fantasies are passionate, loving sex. Um, where you're close to your partner, your hearts beat and sink together. Um, staring into each other's eyes. Um What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my parents every horrible thing they've made me feel, that I'm alone and can't trust anyone because of them. I can't say anything because I know they've meant well, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, I've known my grandparents and seen what they had to grow up with. And it was a thousand times worse than anything I've ever had to deal with. The fact that either of them survived through the hell they were in is a miracle. And even though they both seem to have trouble acknowledging their issues, they clearly have meant well. They've supported me throughout my life, paid for food, school, clothes, everything, just because they want me to be happy and have the things they couldn't have. They've sacrificed so much. And saying anything bad would just mean I'm completely ungrateful for everything. Bullshit. Fucking bullshit. They owe it to you to clothe you, to feed you, to put you into, into school. Those are boilerplates thing, things. And, you know, sacrificing children don't ask a parent to sacrifice for them. That's, that's the parents. Parents are supposed to sacrifice for their children. Um, and, Personally, you know, again, I'm not a therapist, but I'd like to hear you say this stuff to him because that stuff your dad did to you is so fucking mean. I mean, that is just, and I don't know why that's getting to me so deeply, but it, it it's, uh oh, it's, all right. How do you, have you shared these things with others? No, I feel weak saying these things. I've always been known as the unfeeling tough guy who doesn't care about anything. Um, I don't think anyone sees past it or notices I'm lying. All I want is for someone to say, I know what you're feeling and it's okay. Say whatever you need to and I'll listen. Oh, that breaks my heart. I tried opening up to a close friend once and they got freaked out and dismissed it. I quickly made it seem like I was screwing around and it never came up again. But there are people who will. Who will who will feel you and hear you and, you know, if you need to cry on their shoulder or fucking, you know, swing a bat at a, at a, a, you know, a punching bag or, but let that out, man. God, who wouldn't, who wouldn't feel? I'm, I'm feeling rage just reading this because I just, I read so many of these and get emails where people just can't they just keep making excuses for their parents, and there's a difference between understanding that your parents are to understand that your parents were broken people and didn't have the tools to do any better. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't get in touch with your rage and your anger, because you don't have to take it out on your parents. But you gotta let it out. You gotta let it out. And um, and I and I wouldn't suggest. You know, going to a college bro, um, that you don't know if he's safe or not to, to share that stuff with. Because a lot of guys I went to college with, if I had been able to figure out what the fuck I was feeling, I don't know if I'd have been comfortable sharing that with them. Um, except for my best friend Mike, who was a guest on the show. Am I talking about myself too much? I'm suddenly feeling ashamed. This is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Gin Bottle. I like him right away. His awful some moment one of my older cousins took her own life in March of this past year my family dealt with the grief and loss in our own special ways I dealt with it by developing a morbid sense of humor a few weeks later her husband commits suicide as well now someone has to go through all their stuff and my mother father sister and I volunteer to help my aunt sort items to be put into storage my aunt and I go into her late daughter's bedroom and start packing up her books. We've almost finished with one shelf when we come across a book of cartoons by Andy Riley called The Book of Bunny Suicides. Little fluffy rabbits who just don't want to live anymore. I start laughing. My aunt doesn't. Wow. That is, say it every time, Awful Awful some. Um, shame and secrets survey. We got two surveys left this one and then a happy moments. And um, that's Paul panicking that he's taking up too much of your time and apologizing while on his own podcast. Let's just, let's just I want the court. I want that noted for the court. Um, shame and secrets filled out by a guy who calls himself Dark Side Out of Control. He's bisexual. In his 40s, raised in a stable and safe environment. Um, he was the victim of sexual abuse. Uh, sex with a junior high school gym teacher. And, I, and he, he writes, yes, and I never reported it. Sex with junior high uh, gym teacher, and I craved it. Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Um, never been physically abused, but he has been emotionally abused. Positive experiences with the abuser. I masturbate while recalling the experience, then want to cry afterwards. Man, I think... I think you summed up in one sentence the after effect of childhood sexual abuse. Wow. Darkest thoughts. I want to leave my life, take my RV, and just vanish. Shut off my phone... Disconnect from Facebook, email, and go off the grid. Darkest Secrets, I am currently in an S&M relationship and crave to have this shit kicked out of me. Uh, Oh, and he was raised in a stable uh, and safe environment. I forgot to read that. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you to be tied up and used by several men and women. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my wife, I'm sorry. What, if anything, do you wish for to find myself before I lose it all? Have you shared these things with others? Yes, a friend who is supportive but never told my wife. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? That I am one fucked up piece of shit. I strongly encourage you to contact the Rape and Incest National Network and look into getting some counseling. Or dial 211. Find out what services. um, Let them know that you were um, experienced stuff as a kid. um, Unwanted sexual stuff. Um, Maybe find a um, sex abuse survivors um, support group. Uh, Try going to the website onein6.org. But just know that you are worth getting help. And finally, this is a happy moment filled out by Natasha. Hold on one second. And um, her happy moment. My husband and I had just reconciled after he finally hit bottom with and got help for his pot addiction. By the way, I've heard that uh, hitting bottom, I've heard somebody say one time, hitting bottom with weed is like being kicked to death by a rabbit. Uh, She writes, it had been a three-year-long roller coaster of pain and hope, pain and hope, and finally legal separation and me moving out. I've been back at the house with him passing drug tests, doing his support groups, and honoring new boundaries for about a month. We went to Red Robin, nothing fancy, and we just wanted to feel like we were on a date and reconnecting. It was a pleasant enough dinner, and then the waitress asked if we wanted dessert. This was always a dreaded moment for me. I had spent the past few years never, quote, allowed to have dessert because my husband was always in such a hurry to get home to his pot. If I ever stood up to him and had dessert, he would glare at me and make snotty comments under his breath the whole time about how I was being so selfish, taking up all his time. Well, that day, when the waitress asked about dessert, he must have seen the feelings wash over my face because he took my hands, looked in my eyes, and said, I am so sorry I did that to you. You order dessert whenever you want. I started crying tears of gratitude for how much he'd changed. Needless to say, we told the confused server we needed a minute. That moment of love, understanding, and freedom from the pain of the past remains one of the happiest memories of that time in my life. Thank you so much for that beautiful, beautiful moment. And that's why I harp on support groups. You get moments like that. You get beautiful moments like that. Well, thank you guys for being a part of this thing. Thank you for your great surveys and uh, your financial support and um, everything. Participating in the forums, being just, uh, all right. Just thank you for listening and, um, this is awkward. (laughs) Thank you for listening and know that, oh, I'm doing it backwards now. Go fuck yourself. I can't. I can't leave on that. I sh- I so should have ended on "Go fuck yourself." But here I am, the people pleaser, back to tell you that you're not not alone, and thanks for listening. Now go fuck yourself.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in I know some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully everybody fucked up in some weird, beautifully beautifully fucked up some weird way. way.